And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. It was 2014. I was sitting in Lakeland, Florida, in a very, very large gymnasium at a big sports complex. I think it may have been of college. I was sitting there in the stands. I was watching a wrestling match, a high school wrestling match. I enjoy uh, watching wrestling. I enjoy the technique of it. My dad was a wrestler, and so I enjoy watching it and uh, learning the different techniques and techniques and learning the moves. I enjoy it because it's one of those things, even if you're not the strongest guy, you can still win because of the technique involved. And so I enjoy watching wrestling. And so I was sitting there in Lakeland, Florida, watching a wrestling match. The guy wrestling was one of my best friends during my childhood years, one of my best high school friends. And uh, he was wrestling for a state title. He was a, he was a state champ wrestler. Very good wrestler, wrestled in the 220 range, and I was sitting there watching him. This was for first place in the state. It was a good match. They were going back and forth, scoring points and things of that sort. And finally, the match ended, and they went to announce the winner of the match. And my friend lost. He got second place in the entire tournament. I mean, second place for the state championship wrestler. I mean, a pretty amazing accomplishment, a pretty amazing feat. And so we were going to drive back to where we were living at the time, Fort Myers. And so I was with my father, and I remember we went back behind everything. And when he finally got cleaned up and came out, I went up to him. I, I said, you know, congratulations. I'm so proud of you. Great job. And he kind of just hung his head a little. And he said, yeah. And he said, yeah. I said, man, you got second place. What an accomplishment. That's great. Second place of all, the, of, of all in Florida. And I remember he looked at me and he said, yeah, I'm the best of the losers. I'm the best of the losers. He didn't like to lose. You know, I really don't know anybody who enjoys losing. You don't, there's nothing that you do because you like losing. And truth is, for somebody who enjoys winning, second place just isn't good enough. You, you're the best of the losers. Losing it just isn't fun. Today, I want to give you something. I want to give you how you can lose every single time. I don't care what it is. I don't care what area of life it is in. Spiritually speaking, though, I'm going to give you how you can lose every single time. You say, that sounds like a very encouraging episode. It'll be wonderful. It'll be wonderful because the point is, if you don't do these things, then you can win every single time. There's the secret to today's episode. Thank you for listening to Sandy Creek Stirrings. I'm your host, Joshua Jimenez. Glad you chose to join us here on the podcast today. 
I'm going to, for today, skip all the formalities. I'm not going to tell you about the website, sandycreekstirrings.com. I'm not going to tell you about all the major podcasting platforms you can listen on. I'm not going to tell you to send in a question or to email me at joshua at sandycreekstirrings.com. I'm not going to tell you any of those things. We're just going to jump right into today's episode on how to lose every single time. This thought today comes out of 1 Samuel chapter 4. When you read verse 10, it says, And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten. And they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter. For there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. You see, the victorious Israelites had been defeated. They ran, and they fled before the enemies. The God that had rescued them so many times before, well, for whatever reason, he had not shown up, or it didn't seem so. The God who parted the Red Sea, the God who prevailed with Moses with raised hands, the God who defeated the sand on the the seashore army of Midian with pitchers, lamps, and trumpets, the God who tumbled the walls of Jericho with a march and a shout, it just didn't seem like he showed up this time. Yet it wasn't that God wasn't there in Israel. Israel wasn't there with God. They lost. They got second place. They were defeated. All because they were living a life that God didn't want them to live. They had come to battle and they lost. So what do you do? What do you do to lose every single time? I'm going to give you a few things today. I do not want you to replicate these steps. I want you to learn a lesson and do the opposite. Here's the number one way you can lose every single time. You'll find it leading up to this story in 1 Samuel chapter 4. If you go all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 2, just two chapters before, and you go down to verse number 22, the Bible says, Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons, now his sons were Hophni and Phinehas. If you remember when we read in chapter 4, they were slain. They were dead now. But two chapters before, now Eli, he's the father, he's the high priest. Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto unto all Israel and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings uh, by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father. Interesting enough, the number one way to lose is to not deal with sin. You see, here in the story, Eli was confronted with the sins of his two sons. And though he may have talked to them about it, nothing was ever done about it. Eli was the epitome in that verse, in that passage we just read. Eli was the epitome of a dog that is all bark and no bite. He went to them, and here's guys who are, I even hate to kind of bring it up, but the Bible's the one who brought it up. They are sleeping with women. They are having physical relationships with women in the door of God's house, the tabernacle. That's how wicked these men were, not counting all the other things they were doing that you can read about. I mean, it was wicked. 
And here Eli goes and he confronts his sons. Don't get me wrong, he started off right, but he never did anything about it. He didn't kick them out of the priesthood. He didn't have them um, put on trial for what they were doing. There was a lot of power he held in his hands as the high priest to judge his sons for their sins and for their wickedness. But he didn't. He was all bark and no bite. The sin was confronted, but the lives were never conformed and they were never changed. We've seen in the past where another, within Scripture, where another undealt, undealt with sin caused defeat in Israel. Remember when um, they just fought the Battle of Jericho? Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho. Joshua was a great guy. And uh, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Great victory, exciting, it's wonderful. And then they go to Ai. And Ai is a small, tiny, minuscule little city. They're probably just going to give up before we even get there. And so they just go in, and they're defeated, aren't they? Why? Why were they defeated? Because of an undealt, a sin that was undealt with. The sin of Achan, who had sin. He had hid something in his tent that God said, that's mine. Don't you dare touch it. And Achan hid it in Joshua chapter 7. Listen to me, friend. The biggest way you can lose in your life, you can lose with your children, you can lose in your marriage. You can lose in your church, you can lose at your workplace, you can lose at all these different things, is by not dealing with sin. You can talk about it all you want to, but if you don't deal with it, then you're going to lose. Husband, If you're not willing to deal with the sin of pornography in your marriage, you're going to lose. Parent, if you don't deal with the sin of hypocrisy in your parenting, you're going to lose. Church member, if you don't deal with the sin of bitterness or whatever you're struggling with, then you're going to lose. You're going to have to learn to deal with sin. Samuel, who was just a young, a young tyke, a young boy, a young lad at this time, when he saw the defeat of Israel, through this and through this situation, God would go to Samuel and tell him, you know, Eli is not fixing the problem. Hophni and Phinehas are going to be killed. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to step in. I'm going to have to handle this. Samuel, the guy who would be the last judge of Israel, a prophet, Samuel, through this instance, he learned how to deal with sin. You say, how do you deal with sin? Remember when he anointed Saul to be king of Israel? Do you remember that? He anointed Saul to be king of Israel, and Saul was doing great, and Saul was doing some good things, and then Saul wouldn't deal with the sin in his own life. And because Saul wouldn't deal with the sin in his life, he lost the kingdom. You will lose if you don't deal with sin. And remember that time where Saul was sinning and God said, I want you to kill all the people of Amalek. I want you, this is my, this is me getting revenge. Me getting revenge on what they've done to my people for years and years and years. And he said, I want you to kill all of them, including the king Agag. Kill their sheep, kill their animals, kill everything. I want it destroyed to show what I will do when somebody messes with my children. That's exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. God said, do that. And what did, what did Saul do? He didn't do it, did he? He didn't obey God. He kept the sheep, he kept the oxen, he kept all those different things, and then he kept Agag alive. 
He kept Agag alive. And here's what you find when you go to 1 Samuel chapter 15, just 11 chapters later. Samuel shows how he learned to deal with sin in, in the life. In verse 32, you find, Then said Samuel, Bring ye hither to me Agag, the king of the Amal- Amalekites. And Agag came unto him delicately. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. He took a king who God said to destroy, to get rid of him, he has he, he, Agag was a guy who would go in and he would kill pregnant women. He would rip the babies right out of their stomach. He was a wicked and evil man. And God said, I want him gone. He's going to learn what I do to people who mess with my children. And Samuel knew how to handle the situation. He hewed him. What's a, what's a new word for hewed? Hacked. He sawed. He broke him. He hacked him into little pieces. He took a sword and he literally hacked this guy into pieces. You say, that's pretty bloody. That's pretty gory. Here's what it is. It's a spiritual picture of how you and I are supposed to deal with sin. He left no trace of Agag. Too many times we become content with just pushing things to the side and, well, I'll just, you know, uh, yeah, let's go to, let's use the instance of pornography. Well, you know, I, I, um, I only look at it, you know, like once a month, you know, I, I, you know, only a couple times, you know. It's not that, I, and we kind of get this thing where we just kind of push it to the side and we try just to live with it. No, eradicate it. If you're listening to the wrong music, take those CDs and burn them. If you're listening to the wrong kind of movies, don't give them to Goodwill. Throw them away in the trash can. If you're dealing with bitterness, well, you just need to forgive in the midst of bitterness and eradicate it. Love, even though you may desire to hate. You're going to have to deal with sin, and you're going to have to eradicate it. Because if you don't deal with sin, you will lose every single time. Number two, what can you do to lose every single time? Well, you give something else the throne of your heart. You give something else the throne of your heart. First Samuel chapter 2, leading up to that destruction, uh, that defeat that Israel faced. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 29, God is talking and he says, Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me, to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people? Look, God deserves to rule and to reign in your life, friend. As you're listening today, God deserves to rule and to reign in your life. Too many times we become content with something else ruling over us. God deserves the throne of our heart. And here's how I know that they were allowing something else to control them, is they had their priorities switched. Notice what God said there in that verse, verse 29. He said, Honorest thou thy sons, notice what it says, above me? Above me? They had their priorities in the wrong place. Nothing should go above God. 
When you would rather fish or sleep than be in church, you have mixed priorities. Nothing should take priority over church. When you would rather watch TV than go soul winning, when you would rather read a book than read the book, the Word of God, when you would rather relax than pray, you have priorities that are mixed up, and you are giving something else to the throne of your heart, and you are prepping yourself for defeat. Their priorities were switched. They were, they were instead of living for God— they were pushing away those who were trying to do so. Instead of living for God, those people who did want to live for God, they were pushing them away. The verse says in verse 29, Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice? You're kicking at my sacrifice? They were despising it. They were trampling it. The work they did for Christ had become so despised in their own eyes that now they were despising the sacrifice of other people. God says you're kicking it. You're trampling on my sacrifice. And really what it comes down to is they were living for themselves rather than for God. And then I find, so they they had priorities that were mixed up. They were now trampling the sacrifice of God, but then they were allowing deceit just to reign free in their lives. You see it in that phrase, to make yourselves fat. They became deceitful. Why? Because something else ruled their life. But they didn't want anybody to know. They thought they could hide it. They thought it was a game. But God knew. Friend, can I remind you of this? You may think nobody knows, but God knows. If you're here trying to fool people, then you have missed it because you can never fool God. God knows. So if you want to lose, don't deal with sin. Give something else to the throne of your heart. How about this one? Let your spiritual life die. Let your spiritual life die. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, we read in verse number 1, And this child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Let your spiritual life die. God is giving to us a picture here. Now, not only were Eli's physical eyes, were they becoming dim, he was becoming blind, yeah. But spiritually, he was becoming blind as well. He didn't have a burden anymore for the people he was serving. He didn't have a vision anymore for the future. He just didn't care anymore. He did not care anymore. His spiritual eyes had become blind. Friend, you and I will lose as a Christian when we, become, when we begin to become spiritually blind, where we can walk down the street and never give one thought to the person who passes us by about where they will spend an eternity. Or we can go through the drive through We can go through the line at the store. We can pass by our neighbor's house, and we never think about where they are going to spend an eternity. If you do that, you've become spiritually blind. You're setting yourself up for defeat. Not only that, his spiritual eyes became blind, but then his spiritual fire went out. Eli's whole job was to keep the fire within the temple of the Lord, to keep it going. That was his job. He was supposed to keep that lamp burning. But notice a very sad phrase, verse 3. 
And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord. God is giving this spiritual condition that his spiritual fire, his spiritual zeal, his desire had gone out. The fuel, by the way, the fuel for your spiritual fire is the Word of God. You will lose every single time when you let your walk with the Lord slip and you become unfaithful to it. You will lose every single time when you let your walk with the Lord slip and you become unfaithful to it. Your spiritual fire will go out and you will lose. So if you want to lose, let your spiritual life die. But then I find this, and this is what we'll end with today. If you want to lose, allow your faith to become an object rather than a relationship. Allow your faith to become an object rather than a relationship. 1 Samuel chapter 4, the same chapter where they face defeat. Look at what it says in verse number... mm, Let's look at verse number 2. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel, and when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. So here's the first day of battle. Philistines and Israelites fight. This is before this is before the main defeat, the, the death of 30,000 men. They lost the Ark of God, and Eli and Hophni, or Hophni and Phinehas were dead. This is even before that. They already lost 4,000 men. And look at verse number 3. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hands of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, okay? It was kept at the tabernacle. That's that thing that they carried throughout Exodus, throughout um, Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. The thing they carried with those two poles, remember? Had the two cherubim on it. All right, so there you go. That's what that Ark of the Covenant was. It was a picture of God's presence. And so here they go. They say, So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelt between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. Verse 7, And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come into the camp. God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. You know what I find interesting is, is they allowed, okay, here's the thing I want you to know, they allowed their faith to become an object rather than a relationship. Notice how the Israelites viewed this Ark of the Covenant, this picture of God's presence. This was where God dwelt with them. Notice what they did. Notice how the Israelites, the children of God, viewed it. Notice what they said, let us fetch the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it, you notice what they called it? They called it it. When it cometh unto us. Here's the the symbol of the presence of the Lord, when it cometh unto us. And you say, what's the big deal? Look at what the Philistines called it. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come 
into the camp. My friend, do you realize what happened? The Israelites, the children of God, were referring to God's presence as just it. When the Philistines, the world, referred to it as God. Too many Christians become content with the things of Christianity rather than the Christian life itself. Too many Christians become content with the things of Christianity rather than the Christian life itself. You say, what do you mean? They come to church, but they don't live godly at home. They say amen, but they trash talk the preacher at home. Shame on you, by the way. Shame on you. They turn to the passage during the preaching, but they never open up the Bible at home. They bow their head for prayer during the offering at church, but they never speak to God during the week otherwise. They have become content with the things of God rather than actually having a relationship with Him. That's how you lose. You'll lose when you allow your faith to become an object rather than a relationship. You'll lose. I don't know what you'll lose in. Depending on what area, it might be your marriage, might be your children, might be your church, might be your workplace, might be your friendships, might be, I don't know, you name it. But guaranteed, 100% of the time, you will lose if you follow these same steps. And what will be written of your life is the same thing that God had to say of Israel in verse number 10. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten. They're broken. They lost. They were defeated all because of a few things. They didn't deal with sin. They gave something else the throne of their heart. They let their spiritual life die. And they allowed their faith to become an object rather than a relationship. We must be very careful, my friend, that we don't do the same. So here's what I want you to walk, walk away with today. I want you to ask yourself these questions and give yourself an honest and sincere answer. Be honest with yourself before God, because you can't hide it from God. Here's the questions I want you to ask yourself. Is there a sin in my life that I haven't been willing to deal with? I've talked about it. I've, 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 blah, 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 blah. I've made all the excuses I can, but I haven't dealt with it. Is there a sin in my life that I have not dealt with? And then I want you to be honest with yourself and tell yourself this, say, if I don't deal with it, I'm going to lose. Ask yourself this question. Is there something that I have given the throne of my heart the place that God deserves? Is there something that I have given the throne of my heart, which is the place that God deserves? I want you to be honest with yourself if you have. If you've allowed your wants, your desires, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, a movie series, whatever it may be, sleeping in. If you've given something else the throne of your heart, I want you to be honest with yourself and realize you're going to lose. Ask yourself this question. Am I allowing my spiritual life to die? 
Have my spiritual eyes become blind? Am I even having a burden of vision for people anymore? Is my spiritual fire going out? And be honest with yourself, because if it is, you're going to lose. And then ask yourself, am I allowing my faith to be so focused on the objects rather than the relationship? Once again, friend, be honest, because if you do, you're going to lose. You know the great thing about it, though? Great thing about it is, you can always go back and fix those things and be a winner. If you want to be a winner, it's simply the opposite of these things. If you want to be a winner, deal with the sin in your life. If you want to be a winner, give God the throne of your heart. If you want to be a winner, keep your spiritual life alive and well. And if you want to be a winner, allow your faith to be focused on an ob- uh, to be focused on a relationship, not getting rid of the objects, but be focused and planted on a relationship. That's why the Bible says, "Let your light so shine before men that they may see your what your good works." Okay, so don't think you you know it's all about you. It's not about what you do. All right, there's a lot about what you do. Okay, God was focused on what he did, for God so loved the world that he gave. He did something. Okay, it wasn't just that God's God, he did something. So my point being is, yes, you need that walk with God, you need the relationship, but that doesn't mean you skip church just because, you know, well, I'm going to focus on my spiritual life being a relationship instead of an object. That's not what I'm saying. You need both. But if you decide to take the objects over the relationship, you've missed it. But you can be a winner by fixing those things. And so let me encourage you, my friend, make sure, deal with sin, give God the throne of your heart, let your spiritual life keep it alive, and make sure your your faith is built on a solid foundation of your relationship with God. Otherwise, you'll lose every single time. I don't know about you, I don't want to lose. I want to be a winner. Just what I want, I want to be a winner. And so let's strive for the prize, amen? Strive because God wants us to. Let's do good for Him and for His glory because He deserves it. And as you do, keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ. Amen.